Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf Weekly Podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor and Connor. And it's a major week, but we won't be talking about that major today. We'll do a preview show coming up on Wednesday, the day before the major starts. But we've got plenty of news to talk about this show and a few pretty interesting Reddit threads uh, that you're not going to want to miss. Reddit's just like a buzzword. It is. Uh, it's BuzzFeed. No. Uh, before we get into it, though, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. The show is brought to you by Manscaped. Fellas, have you started spring cleaning yet? The carpets need cleaning, the drapes need dusting, and your lawn needs mowing. Spring is sprung, and the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the best tools for getting your body beach ready. Time to join the other 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going over to manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping with the code GRIPLOCKED. Manscaped has the full package you need for spring cleaning this year. The Performance Package 4.0 is the only tool you need to keep your boys looking and smelling like the fresh tulips that your partner wants. To start off this spring cleaning using the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to get the most precise, precise shave on your hedges. Did we mention it's waterproof as well? No need to worry about watering your grass with this tool. Equipped with an LED light, you'll know it'll be a major asset to the new shower routine. Clear your holes and smell the spring air with the Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. After cleaning your nose, make sure to get rid of that foul smell with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. I had to use that after my run this weekend. Lifesaver. Lifesaver. Let me just tell you. Uh, I was I was almost bleeding. My inner thighs were chafing so bad. I ate eight miles to do it's, it. it. It was brutal. But <laughs> hey, I'm here. Live to tell the tale. Thank you to the Crop Preserver. The Crop Reviver <laughs> is a spray-on toner for your balls, and you keep the boys sticking from your legs and keep them smelling fresh like flowers. And finish off your grooming routine with the Plow 2.0. The, haven't heard of this one yet. Wow, the perfect we got a razor. new one. Perfect razor for your finest oh. shave on your face, because oh. if you're using the Lawnmower 4.0 on your balls and your face, I don't think I have to tell you we, you're doing it wrong. I, I think we need the, now we need the Plow for Manscaped. Uh, though the start of spring also marks the start of Testicular Cancer Awareness Month in April, Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls initiative. So head over to Manscaped and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GRIPLOCKED at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code, one word, GRIPLOCKED at manscaped.com. It's time to throw out your old hygiene habits and upgrade your life. All right, this past weekend, the Open at Tallahassee happened. It was a Silver Series event. Not a ton of focus being put on it um, by, well... Not a ton of folks out there. Yeah, I think that is, it's the week before a major. It's just a tough, tough weekend, but... Albert Tam was able to take it down his first Pro Tour win. I actually saw Stat Mando said the first European Pro Tour win in general. By MPO. Um, by MPO, correct. Yeah. Um, let me read what it actually was. Paul corrected him because they made an incorrect statement somewhere in there. But, oh, snap. Um, with the victory in Tallahassee, <laughs> Albert Tam becomes the first European to win a disc golf Pro Tour event in MPO and the second male European to win a major elite uh, or silver series. Not true. Which he's actually the third because Paul said Simon's won an NT and then they're like, this is based on PDGA location and Simon has Massachusetts listed. So they weren't counting Simon as a European. Um, well, I mean, so is, but <laughs> regardless, Albert Tam is the first to win a pro tour event because Simon won 2015 Ledgestone, which was a national tour back then. That's true. Uh, it is a silver series, so but Albert Tam took it down. Matty O came in second. He had a scorcher of a final round. Wait, was Kevin Jones there? Did No, he, no, I don't he, think he, he didn't show up. He dropped out. I was going to say, because we were on Kevin Jones' fraud watch. 
Big yeah, time. he did not show up. He, but he will be at the major, obviously. Uh, Matteo came in second, and then Alex Russell came in third. Uh, Gannon Burr was there; he came in fourth. Um, Impressive then for I mean, um, it was like, it was a, a solid win. Yeah. yeah, there was there was yeah, enough players, players there, there that it was a solid win. And then on FPO, we had another first time winner with oh, Stacy yeah. Haas. Uh, she took it Val. down by five strokes again with the scorching hot final round. And uh, second place was Valerie Mandahano and Jessica Weiss, which that is not what the leaderboard looked like going into the final day. Wow. Uh, I believe Lisa Fakus had the lead originally. She dropped down to fourth. Um, a few other storylines really quickly to go over from this event. First, this was Humphreys Eric Oakley. Was uh, yeah, Luke Humphreys was there. Mm. Uh, this was Eric Oakley's first event of the season. Um, and he had a, a solid first and third round. He struggled a little bit in the second round. He was able to come in 22nd at seven under par, which puts him 13 strokes out of the lead. Yeah, I mean, he's first event back. But yeah, you know, he's back. He's been out. He knocked some of the rust off, so it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do first, at First the tournament with the, with the new bag, I think. So, I mean... Yeah. Well, did he play some before the injury at no, all? No, I, I was, I was pre I know this is like his first... Because he was supposed to start... He was supposed to start his season in Texas, and then... When I interviewed him, he was like, "Yeah, not going to happen anymore because he hurt." Yeah, no, no events this yeah. year. So, uh, so that was he did play. Yeah, because the last event was USDGC last year. So this is it. New bag. This is the first event with a new bag. Yeah, open in Tallahassee. That's so not, not bad. Not a bad start. No In-injury injury. Overall, and new bag. solid. Because again, he had two good rounds, one mediocre. He's got to get um, right back into it. Now, and though, now we're going major. straight back into a major this week. Uh, and the other flip side of the coin too is Kona was able to hang around. So she she ended up losing by seven strokes, but she Not was me. I mean she was in it until the final round. She lost six strokes in the final round. So yeah, I mean uh, she was on lead card and she was shot under par for the tournament. At this point and with Kona, she finished in fourth place. It's like we just kind of had like this attitude now of just like oh she's like she's doing all right. Like she's well, my just, thing like, is this is her it. first like <laughs> solid overall tournament it's nothing great yeah. against it uh, wasn't against a good field There's a great not, field I, you gotta expect but better, it might have been a good thing for her game this weekend just to be able to play without a lot of eyeballs on her i'm telling you i st- i still I, I feel like she's gonna like pop off and win an event and like well, i'm just i'm one i'm hoping that like season. i'm hoping this kind of helped obviously she didn't win but she she was Maybe. able to kind of hang around, and she was like kind of in it. She was on lead card the final day. Hopefully, this kind of gets things going right before a major. Because yeah, like WR, if you show up to the first no, major like, and just get wrecked, like know. that's not going to do a lot for confidence. I don't know if I see it working at WR. That, that I don't course know. is punishing. It is punishing, but it's going to punish everyone. It so. is. So that's why I'm saying whoever's got the best game right now is gonna ha- is just gonna do the best, yeah. really. But I mean, I I, I just feel like it might have been a, something she needed where she can go out and play a tournament and like not a lot of people were. No, that probably it helped. wasn't not, a super not a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, it wasn't a super talked about event. Not yeah. a super high watched event. Not a super well attended event. So just get out, get some Silver Series points. Yeah, and kind of slide under the radar. Um, Another FPO storyline that doesn't have anything to do with the Open in Tallahassee, but kind of came out around there, was Heather Young announced on Instagram that she's gonna be taking a break. Uh, she announced, yeah, "I'm gonna." This, this is, is the Instagram. quote from her post. This is her caption: "I'm gonna be taking at least several months off from disc golf from the disc golf tour. I've had some ongoing struggles with what my plans are for the future with disc golf and life in general. While dealing with some of these issues, I feel like I've lost my desire to play, which makes it very hard to compete at the highest level." I'm hopeful that by taking a step back for a while, I can regain that fire that drives me to be one of the best. I'll um, tell you. 
Yeah. The disc golf burnout is is starting to happen. We, we've seen Colt Montgomery posting like on Facebook with some frustration, talking about how he just doesn't really know what he's doing out there anymore. As the field gets stronger and there are certain players that are just going to feel that they're just kind of getting left behind because it kind of, you know, where it used to be, if you were kind of a hedge player, you might still be able to sneak in some top 20s these days. That Those first 20 spots on that leaderboard are really tough to get to. Those yes. guys are all just killing it. And, and the same in FPO. Obviously, it's not 20, but... Yeah, no, for, if you're just... Well, it's more like the top, you know, five, five to eight, to ten, yeah. you know, somewhere in there. But like, and if you're just week after week just getting crushed and just not seeing any results, not because you're bad at disc golf, but because the field is just getting Well, ridiculous. what's also tough is a player like Heather, it's, you don't know kind of where her contract would be, but right. you would assume that it's a very bonus heavy contract. Yeah, you're not so picking up those bonuses. If you're not able to regularly get those bonuses, then you're touring. This post just kind of serves as a good reminder of how taxing the tour life can oh, be, yeah. both physically and mentally and financially. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you didn't mention anything with finances, but... I'm saying in general, like a player like Colton, a player like Heather, where they're not, you know, they don't have these top tier contracts. They're it's gonna be their money they make throughout the season is gonna be heavily based on how well their signature series discs sell yeah. and how well they do at tournaments. Their earnings, yeah. And if you aren't able to get into wherever the bonus threshold is in your contract regularly, you really might be spending a thousand dollars to make two hundred dollars. Yeah. And and that's assuming you even cash enough because you're paying two hundred and twenty five dollars to even play in the event. Yeah. It's and so it's gonna become more popular. You're gonna yeah. start seeing this more out of players and like these are not like like Colt Montgomery and Heather Young especially are not small names in the no. division. Colt Montgomery won a pro tour yeah, within the last three right. years. They're they're well known players. Um but this is just what's gonna start happening because yeah, the tour life isn't easy, like already the lifestyle. If you're not one of the very like top, we're talking like top 1% player, then you're going to be on the road in a van or an RV or heck, even just a car. You know, that's how a lot of players start doing this. And if you're not having any success and you're not seeing results, like it's, you got to really love the game if you yeah. wanna keep moving on and, and realize that there's other things you can do. That's that's just what the tour is going to be coming now with like if they start introducing cuts more. Fre- that's when you're really going to see it. Let me tell you, if they start introducing cuts more frequently and there's players that are going out there and they're not even getting four rounds of disc golf or three rounds of disc golf. That's when you're going to see people really give it up. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how the pro tour finds that balance, too, which I think they've been trying to like pretty delicately, delicately approach the situation of like we need to make this tour more competitive more cutthroat we're gonna have tour carbs we're gonna have ratings caps but we also need to not make it too demoralizing before the field side gets size gets big enough because yeah. we need to make sure that if players drop out there's new ones that are just as good to, to jump in um it's going to become more popular theme this the tour is only going to get harder from here yeah. on and forever it's, well, just it's going to be a tough harder. thing too like heather young is obviously that's her last name but she's also very young yeah. and so for her she's kind of sitting like do I want to dedicate my entire life to this sport? Right, right. And that's my main, like, that's how I make money. That's how I do everything. And it's something where if I don't break into that top five, I might be going like, you know, nickel and diming my way through my entire life. Right. Well, then you look up, you might look up 15 years later at the end of your career and be like, well, I made it, but I've got no savings. Yeah. <laughs> and now what am I going to do? Well, that's do? the thing too that's like, Honestly, a player like Heather Young, I respect a lot more than a player that just keeps their head down and refuses to step back and look at their situation. Yeah, no, because there's nothing wrong with it. You might like 
it, it'd be very easy to just keep like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there and putting your head down and grinding and not ever getting there. And then you blink and you're 30 something yeah. and you, and you don't have, you know, if you started touring when you were fresh out of high school or fresh out of college, you might not have any job experience. You might not have any right. retirement savings, savings in general. You got to hope to find work in disc golf, yeah, which and isn't then, easy either. And then you're just like, I can either keep touring for another 10 years of relevancy, but now I'm going to be 40 and in the same shoes of what do I do next? So it's a question where like, I respect Heather taking the step back now and just being like, what do I want to do? Is this something I fully want to do? And if so, what do I need to do to make sure it happens? Yeah. Or is it something where I want to play disc golf for fun on the weekends and and find something else during the week? It's a tough decision, but I think it's a decision that players are going to be smart to make early in their career of like, is this something I think I can fully commit to? And I think if you take a step back and you look at the pros and cons and then you decide to fully commit, it's a different level of commitment than, okay, well, I'm gonna play a pro tour here and there. Okay. Well this year I'm gonna play six pro tours. Okay. This year I'm gonna play 10 pro tours, which is kind of the current model. The thing is Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And the thing is too, you don't have to like wipe disc golf out of your life. It is so easy to mini tour and local tour and just go to a few events. Like you can, you can stay pretty darn relevant um with a smaller tour model i mean that's kind of what dickerson did until until he he was was very relevant yeah Yeah. and like um honestly something and it's such an interesting topic the topic of like got like the guys and girls that are dedicating their life to disc golf touring but then you know once they finish up like what do they do next and it honestly would be interesting something that the nfl players association does i got a chance to go visit their offices on a trip when i was in college they have an entire segment of the players association, which represents the players in that league, that their whole focus is helping out guys. They're a resource for guys to find careers after football because an average NFL career might be two years. Like it's very cutthroat. There's not a lot of guys that even make their retirement off that league. And they give you all these resources. They're going to help you build resumes, get networked. It'd be interesting to see somebody do that with disc golf, like create a foundation that's going to help these disc golfers that either are just finished up with their careers or just couldn't quite cut it and give them some resources. That'd be something the PDGA would have to do um, because, you know, these players have given so much time to furthering the sport, kind of give back and like help them on post career because like it's, it's a big thing. Like there are professional athletes every day that, that end up homeless because they just didn't have, they couldn't get their career going the way they thought they would. And then they, that's their experience. Like how do you translate on a resume I played professional disc golf. Like, what is that? There's ways mm-hmm. to work that. Surely there is like, there is experience you have, but you got to like, you got to find someone who values you. Gotta, yeah. You got to yeah. figure it out. Cause if you walk into a corporate office and you're like, yeah, you know, I ran, I ran social media for three years. You're like, Oh, for who? For myself while I was touring as a disc golfer. They're gonna be like, okay, yeah, but this person's got a bachelor degree internship yeah. at this place. Right. Like it's That's going to be a very hard competitive field type thing to enter. But like, it's just, it is an interesting thing, and in disc golf, it's hard to know like how long a career is relevant, right? Because right, right now, We're kinda, we haven't really seen it. We're in the yeah. new era of at what point does a Paul McBeth retire? At that, what point does generation, a Ricky retire? Yeah, the generation, like I think Nico is probably the right on the edge of that generation that we'll have to watch over the next decade to see what happens. The theme right now has always been 
for the guys that are getting out of disc golf is they stay in disc golf because yeah, that's, find a job that's in all disc they golf, know. And, and disc golf is a scratch your back type industry, but that can only go on for so long. And there's, yeah, there's only so many spots. Like if you have yeah. a, a name like Nico or a name like Philo, for instance, has been able to slowly transition out of fo- fully playing right. into more things, but he has a recognizable name. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch the players who have who grinded out on that. tour, but like, like Patrick Brown, great What's Patrick Brown up to right now? Yeah, still. I don't playing. know. I'm pretty sure he's still playing, but yeah, but Masters. like as it goes on, like a player, like if you're able to get to a point where your name is on discs, like Ken Climo, uh, Greg Barsby, right now, you know, Nate yeah. Sexton, Paul McBeth, Paige Pierce. If you're able to get to a World Championship or whatever, it requires for your name to be on disc, where that can a supplement income while you're touring, and then mm-hmm. b be something that you keep long term after to where. I don't know what's all in the contract, but like I'm sure if someone wanted to put their name on the champ Firebird, it would have to be yeah. like Kenny gets some type of check to relinquish that right or something. Right. I don't know. But regardless, that's a way that like Kenny, uh, Ken Klein was playing, but not playing on tour. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of back injuries and stuff where he like will play around and then have to recover for several days after. But he's still able to make money off disc golf. So where he can just find some other jobs and stuff like that. I think he even had like roofing experience or something prior to disc golf or during disc golf to where he has stuff, but like his generation, it was a lot of people working nine to five and playing disc golf Mm -hmm. on quote unquote tour. So they have experience. So their generation is a tough one to look at because those players, a lot of times were working while they were touring. So they have, you have painters, plumbers, roofers i know um what whatever his name is ron russell i think has a big roofing company in florida yeah stuff like that where they they all have side hustles now we're seeing this is the first generation of the full if you're a touring disc golfer that you are a touring disc golfer right like the majority of people on tour don't have a weird side hustle or or and they start and they started like you said they started right out of high school or college to where like that that's been their entire life it's yeah so this is the first generation that we we've got to watch and I'm not going to be surprised if more people have this like awakening moment, like Heather Young of like, Hey, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, is this really the best move for my life? Like I'm having fun right now, but is this something that 10 years from now I'm still going to be having fun? And like, will I be able to survive? It's so hard to wait because it is like a once in a lifetime thing where it's like, this is, it's such a cool opportunity to get to go play on tour and something you'll never get to do again. Yeah. But you just can't you let got, the dream yeah, outweigh you, reality. You got to Yeah. You got to think about your future sometime. And, and like certain players like will have that self belief. Cause like somebody like Heather young, who I still believe is like on the fringe of that division. Like she can, she could make it, but it's like, you just got to decide how much you're willing to bet on yourself. At, yeah, no, at exactly. Point. It comes a lot down to that. And, and some players are going to bet on themselves and yeah. lose. This, and this is like, this is just, this is like how touring sports works. This is how, um, professional golf works as well. Like they're, and there are so many guys who spend so much money playing mini tour professional golf on themselves to try and make it like they're not making money. They're spending it. And, and it is, it's so cutthroat and it's crazy. And disc golf, it's a lot more affordable to try and make that dream work, but it's getting very tough at the top. Yeah. I was going to say, there's probably a normal growing pain for a growing small oh, sport. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, well, it's not even just a growing pain. It's just like a, that's just a pain. It's, we're it's, an, feel yeah, it's just a reality yeah. that we've yeah. grown into. The now. difference, though, is like right now we're talking about like Heather Young is one of the more household names in FPO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't say more household, but she's most people who watch FPO know Heather Young's name. Yeah. Eventually, it's 
it's not going to be players you know the name of because it's going to yeah. be players trying to survive on the silver series right. to get onto yeah. the pro tour. Once the money get, gets bigger, you won't have you'll have like when it gets competitive enough that the money is big enough. Like on the PGA Tour, if you have if you've earned your PGA Tour card and you're playing on the tour, you're probably doing okay. There are guys towards the bottom of the, the money list that like. I mean, there's, they'll lose their tour card probably. There's a reason they're there, but like most of those guys on the tour, and especially if you're if you're able to stay on the tour for years, like you're gonna make a good living, um, just because you know the purses are. We're talking ten to fifteen million and endorsements. That's where yeah, and you, you mostly wear, endorsements right, are, you, are going there. You got a logo on your sleeve on TV. You know, tens of thousands of dollars, six mm-hmm. figures for some guys. So seven figures for some guys. Yeah, seven figures for some guys. So yeah, it's it's just one of those things but it yeah. is always going to be that attitude or right that, now we're just seeing the fringe players that are under i think stress it's just starting to hit people really hard right are now. on the tour yeah in the future those fringe players will be trying to get on the tour it's also interesting it's too, a little bit of a different disc scenario. golf just has that huge gap too where like you're gonna have guys like paul mcbeth that are like flying to events can afford personal trainers nutritionists if they want if they want them um and then you've got guys at the bottom that are just trying to cut it and that's the same thing that happens in pro golf is you'll have guys going to tour events on that are like on smaller tours and they're like splitting hotel rooms with each other mm-hmm. like four ways whereas then you get you got guys that have been successful that are flying private jets like there's always that kind of gap too where it's it's an interesting the tour life and the tour kind of struggle and grind is just it's fascinating it's just a different kind of sports than like your traditional you know join a team get a salary type thing because yeah. it's so personalized how yeah. how you make mm-hmm. your tour work and how you because like you can do it so bare bones but then if you make enough money you can make i mean it's hardly a tour it's like you just have a house flying in the sky so yeah like it, it's just it's crazy the range of scenarios that people have yeah i think that's the key too is like with team sports like if you make it to the nba it, your performance matters whether you're staying on the team or not but yeah. your performance doesn't directly dictate your salary a lot of times. It dictates right. your bonuses and stuff like that. But if you sign a guaranteed contract with the team... Yeah, if you have guaranteed money, have it's guaranteed. guaranteed. Yeah. Whereas if you make it onto the Pro Tour and you never cash all season, you're not guaranteed. You're not guaranteed. You're, you might have a signature series disc or with like a local pro shop or something, but yeah. realistically, that's a few hundred bucks. More. Other than that, you're guaranteed nothing because you're not, in a, you're not employed. Yeah. You have to go earn your living by... And that's where like when the comparison to other sports a lot of times falls apart is like these pro tour players aren't employed by the pro tour. So the pro tour is just a tournament yeah. and the players have to go earn their income based on where they end up. And yeah. if you don't end up cashing, you could go all year, pour in fifty, sixty thousand dollars into your tour and walk away making quote unquote thirty. So you lose right. you pay thirty grand to be on the Pro Tour. Yeah. It's like, what the heck did I just yeah. do? One of these days we're gonna do a video where like we won't be able to play on the original idea. We had an idea back in the day would like go on the Pro Tour. We obviously can't do that anymore with the card system. But like even just like if we did a challenge where we have to tour around the area. You could still do it. It'd be harder to get into some of these events well, because of the be tough to get in. We could get into Silver Series. But this probably. is like this is probably one of the last years we'll be able to do it. Yeah. So we're not, it's not going to happen. But no, that's what I'm Next saying. Next year we could, though, we, we could, could in Silver Series. We could still do it with Silver Series or just even local events where like we do a challenge just to see how hard it is to like all of our budget is just what we're able to make essentially with just a little bit of starting money and just see how long we can stretch I think it. I'm just showing up and I'm going, I think, I think I'd become like a, I think I would drive out to events and I'd just DoorDash. 
Yeah. I think that's what I'm doing. Make, doing you, something like that. Well, you could at least make your food and gas money. Yeah. In like a few hours of door dashing. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out something like that. I'm trying to figure out something oh, like that. I'm not brutal. relying on cash. Maybe. I don't trust maybe my game. Not without expensive well, gases right now. I'm not trusting yeah, my game. Oof. Yeah, it'd be tough. It would That's take a little bit. Yeah. It would take a little bit. I just I just know I'm not trusting my game. I would probably do like a uh, cash. I would probably se- slowly sell discs out of my bag on <laughs> on like Marketplace. Or if I want, if I like uh, got like a player's pack of any kind, immediately sold on on ebay that's mm. the key you enter amateur at weeklies and stuff all throughout the week and then you flip all those flip discs, the, flip the discs. <laughs> to be able to play <laughs> yeah. pro it would be an interesting it would grind. be all right so let's get into the fan favorite segment trevor's trivia and if you really like San- trevor's trivia i know it's a fan favorite so i know you guys love it <laughs> uh be sure to check out this month's patreon video that's coming out soon where trevor is going to take the trevor's trivia to a whole nother level and we're playing a little disc golf jeopardy uh, Connor, Silas, and I will be uh, the contestants, and Trevor will have a full-on Jeopardy board, and the winner will get something. Very excited. A blizzards. Tom. Blizzards. Multiple blizzards. I love blizzards. blizzards. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Free blizzards for life, courtesy of Trevor Stop. Um, yeah, so check, <laughs> check out the Heiser Club. I heard him say, yeah, Trevor. Connor. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> check out the Heiser Club, and well, I'll just give you, I'll just give you a debit card, and once it runs out, then like you're out. So... <laughs> We get one blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to do, I've done this before um, cool. in, in a different way, but it's called Disc Golf Alternate Universe, where I basically paint a scenario that is an alternate universe, and then you have to give the answer accordingly. Last time we did what? it. What? You under, it's very simple. You understand. Um, okay. Last time we did it. Is it like a multiverse? Is this, is this the metaverse? Is this what they've been these, talking about? These questions are... You'll, let me just read the first one. You Go guys ahead. can both give a guess at it. Um, so this, the first alternate universe question would be, which FPO player would have would have won the most world titles if Paige, Kat, and Valerie Jenkins didn't exist from 2011 to 2021? If and, Paige, how, and how many? And Valerie Jenkins So there's the alternate universe where they don't exist. Sarah Hokum. And how many? Three. Oh, my gosh. That's so difficult. I just um, pulled both of those out of thin air, but I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm close. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go <laughs> You're blind. For our audio listeners, yeah. Connor is just I've, staring uh, into his mic. I my brain just died. Oh, bring um, it back to life. Come on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Wait, which were the three that I can't choose from? Valerie Jenkins, Paige, or Cat, who essentially dominated that entire stretch. I don't think anybody else other than Paige Shoe. I know I can't and I think Hokum had Hokum won twenty twelve. I was title. I was thinking about choosing Paige Shoe. Um I guess I will. And I'll say so how how many am I just choosing how many she how many? How many, yeah. Two. The answer is Sarah Hokum. And okay. it... It could be three or four. It's, it depends how you put it. Because three, gotta put it at three. So three, I'm right. she would have three outright. The fourth one, she was tied for third. In, in, she, would, in one. she lost a playoff. So that you get points for that though. That I was get good two, job. What, was that good. two points? Sure. How is the points? I'm no sweating. Like, it's mostly just you guys both have a chance to answer. All right, one more. Oh, uh, I, feel like hard, I, I feel like that was a hard one because it's once, tough. Are you playing for pink slips? Once the good one. Yes. <laughs> once like. A good answer was chosen for that one. That you only had so many other options. I feel like. Well, you could have said Sarah Hokum, and you could just guess well, a different number. 
I guess so. It's not. I guess it's not a, base, I didn't want a points I competition grab, here. I, I wanted to be a points competition. All right. So this one is. I'm up two zero. I'm up two zero. In an alternate universe where the runner-up wins the world title for the MPO division. Which MPO player runner has up. the most runner-up world titles all time? And how Ooh. many? Here's a hint. There are three players that are tied. Ooh. So three players. Runner-up Which are time? they and how many? And how, how many, many runner-ups? So essentially, how, who has the most runner-ups? All time is what makes it difficult. Ricky's one of the three. Dang, and he has... He has... And ties, ties would be counted. Ricky has... If you were tied for second, it would count. Three. Paul has three. Um, Ricky and Paul. Um, I'm gonna throw. This is tough. It's hard when we think about all time. Yeah, because I. How many people are tied? Three. Three. So I just need one more tied. I feel like it's got to be someone who's constantly losing to Ken Climo. Uh, Barry. Ron Russell. Okay. Is this a is this a competition right now? And you're saying they're tied at three, because they all have the same amount. They're tied, so you'd have to be saying they're all tied at three. Uh, I just I, I let me think of Paul. We'll go three. We'll go Ricky Paul Ron Russell. Okay, I'm going. I gotta be close. I'm going Ricky Paul Barry Schultz. The answer. This is quite interesting. They're all they're all at four, not three. So Paul is at four. Paul Ricky. And Josh Anton. Josh Whoa, Anton. Josh Anton right. has right. four runner-ups. So I should have known that. Anton was runner-up in was, 2018. He was coming into his prime. 2010. At 2012 when he got arrested. And 2009. So he had three straight runner-ups. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. And then just randomly crazy. tied with Paul 2018 for a second. That was when he first came back. Yeah, but Paul, Paul Ricky, and Josh Anton. I just Anton. forgot about him. Pretty crazy. I just thought, it, I, I guess... Ken was beating different people every time. Yeah, that back in the day, the runner-up was not consistent. super consistent at all. It was there like was one player everywhere. that that was runner-up like twice to him. It definitely wasn't Ron Russell. I couldn't remember who it was though. Yeah, Jim Oates maybe. No, it was pretty random back Rick, then. Until no. until the Paul Ricky era, really. That's I when knew it Paul really because I know every time. Well, 2016, 2017. That's why I started counting in my head. It was 2021. I missed because yeah. I had Barsby Rick Rick. Because right. Paul has either been first or second for like a decade in world. So pretty much yeah. you had to count how many yeah. times he lost. Paul and Ricky made sense for sure. Ricky, I only counted three. Anton's sneaky because he Paul. never won. Yeah. So like it's just yeah. crazy to have that many runner-ups and never My win. next answer was going to be like Nico or Shoestrick. Yeah. Because I was like, they had an era where they were dominant, they but they never a, won. They both have like a couple, I think. Yeah, but I didn't. that's why I didn't know if it was quite Good that game, many. Good game, Trevor. Good game. GG's. All right. This past weekend, we had the true first major of the year, uh, college disc golf. College disc golf. Uh, National championship. We'll go over the results really quick and then uh, really just one main storyline. The team national championship on the... We're going to just cover D1 and then women's D1. We're not going to cover D2 and D3. Um, So men's division one national championship was Missouri by three strokes over a three-way tie between Liberty University, Iowa State, and Texas. Texas kind of a powerhouse look. Yeah, Missouri. I believe Missouri was the number one Mizzou. ranked team. It's so just straight up Missouri, not S and T. Just Missouri, straight up. And mm. women's D one, Missouri also won. So Missouri took home the both D one titles. Sweet. Wow. wow. Women's That's and men's. Awesome. Uh, Ferris State came in second New for the Dynasty. women, and then BYU came in third for the women. And yeah. then in singles, Absolutely. we had 
For the men, we had Robert Burridge from Michigan win by one over Evan Cole from RIT, and cool. which I believe RIT, they have a hockey team. Mm-hmm. Are they in Buffalo, New York? They might be. I might have went to a hockey game there randomly. Okay. Uh, that doesn't matter. And then Colin <laughs> Thompson uh, from Illinois State came in third for the men. And then for the women, we had... Whitney Brown take down, I believe it's her second in a row in a playoff, it looks like, Sick. Uh, over Rebecca Minnick. How many? Whitney Brown's from Southern Arkansas. Aren't they the Banana Slugs? No, that's Santa Cruz. We always Santa Cruz. This. We always get this. San, what is Southern Santa Arkansas? Santa Barbara, maybe. I don't know. Southern Arkansas has some type of cool. Um, they're, they're a horse. I, and then I, Rebecca from Virginia Tech came in second, and Tiana Halfaday from Ferris like State really came in third. there's really not many multi-time national champions in college disc golf. It's not a lot because, because you, like, you only have a few shots at it. Yeah, that, like, that's pretty crazy to be like a multiple-time back national back. champ. Put that in your bio. You yeah. know? Gosh. Uh, another thing that was announced was, was there Paul Ulibarri, <laughs> uh, his foundation is giving scholarships to, the, to some of the winners. Um from this event, so that's a pretty cool initiative that he has going on. I, I don't pay, know too many for, details about like what his future plans are for the scholarships, but I'd pay for your for your Southern whole dining Arkansas plan. is the Mule Riders. Mule I Riders, mean, that's cool. They have like a their logo is like a flag with the cowboy, right? I'm riding uh, a mule. No, nope. no. All right, well, I think you're thinking of Wyoming. No, there's no cowboy. No, they're yellow and blue. I'm pretty sure they have they like merch with that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they have merch with that. It's, it's an alternate. It logo. doesn't matter. You understand. The yeah, other mules, the the <laughs> biggest thing from college disc golf uh, nationals that was a little bit of an uproar on Facebook was after round three, Ferris State on the men's the side it took that long was in contention. I believe they're only like a stroke or two back, and then got disqualified for an ineligible player, Brendan Tetloff. I am almost positive we talked about Brendan. We did. I know we, we talked about him multiple times. We, but I'm pretty sure I said on the podcast. Like, how is that guy? Still I don't know eligible? how he's still eligible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those words came out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, Mainly because in 2017 at Nationals, I played against Brendan and he almost won. He shot a ridiculous final nine, mean 13 round. Him and the guy who ended up winning, Ben Clark, were both on my card. Ben Clark. And he like popped off. Brendan was a disgusting lefty and then went on that year, 2017, to make like 13 to 15. (laughs) He's disgusting. He was filthy. He's filthy. Uh, went on in a that good year. way. Just let everybody know in a good way. Hunter means that in a good way. How is there a bad way to say that? It's just, you said he was a disgusting <laughs> how, lefty. How is there a bad way to say the word? I mean, we all got it, but like, how is there? Like a bad when you, way I feel like if you call, if you say someone's really funny, if you say someone's disgusting at disc golf, like that's pretty, yes, pretty common agree. that they're good it at disc golf. It's just so funny that you said he's a disgusting lefty. <laughs> he can throw so far. Anyways, super smooth player. Um, that year he went on the tour and make like upward over ten thousand dollars playing playing disc golf. Good for you, man. It would that feel is so also good the year to like just side note how good would it feel to like pretty much like if you just like pretty much local tour just did a couple trips didn't really pay much and won ten thousand dollars like it's just like a side job that just got you a cool yeah 10K. and you got to play disc golf you, yeah it's just like buy a car um so that is actually <laughs> the year that made that Brendan ineligible because essentially I'll read through the rules here in a second but. Uh, it, it, the PDJ has a thing called a premier professional, formerly a touring pro, and you can't have crossed that threshold, which is like, if you're a certain rating, you have to make a certain amount. If you're not below a certain rating, you have to make yeah. uh, less money, so on and so forth. Um, it was like 5K for a thousand rating, I think, or something like that. A five-year history is what college disc golf takes into account. So yeah. if you're good at math, 
I'm not, but 2017, that's five years ago. So that is the year in question that made this whole thing go down. So originally in the comments, Ferris was claiming they got approval for Brendan to play from College Disc Golf, which would have made this whole thing even more of a like suspicious conspiracy thing. But it seems as I read into it more that essentially they were assuming College Disc Golf was checking everyone at registration, which originally and in the rules is something that College Disc Golf is supposed to be doing to a certain degree. Um, and so when they didn't get flagged, then they were like, so they're, he's good to go. So they were kind of just like, let's see if this works. Well, I, I couldn't find... Because <laughs> like, like the math is not difficult to do. I couldn't find mm-hmm. if Brendan says he 100% did not know. He assumed he was eligible. I Why couldn't find if that? the coach or anyone like that... It, as long as, it, if you read the rule, you can't assume you're eligible. Because it's like, okay, look at my earnings from 2017. 17 plus 5 But is that's what I'm saying is I would assume he just didn't read it because like he... Yeah, it, it, yeah. Previously, when we were playing college disc golf, the last year was taken into account. Five uh, years back is something that I new. never even thought of. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so so it, it makes sense from college disc golf standpoint because this type of situation, you know, where you have a player like if basically if this situation wasn't in there, then Paul Macbeth could take a year off of disc golf and then play college disc golf and win nationals. That'd be like fun. obviously that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you'd have to Paul would have to take five years off then play college disc golf, which like. Why on earth would we do that? Right. You see what I'm saying? Uh, first off, why on earth would we do a year off? But you, you get the whole gist of it, where having some history man. makes more He's sense. The world, though. Um, so essentially, Ferris registered, got no pushback from college disc golf, made them assume even more. Everyone's clear to play. After round three, it was brought to the attention of college disc golf that Brendan was ineligible may, or might be ineligible. And after looking into it and finding that amount of cash he accepted in 2017, the entire team was disqualified. To add to this story even farther, Ferris played a protest round on Saturday with everyone but Brendan, shot a nine under, and would have won by three overall. Wow. Uh, of course, it couldn't be accepted because yeah. Brendan was a part of the first three rounds that got them there. That seems kind of silly. But it brings up a lot of questions as far as like college disc golf needs to figure some of this stuff out before next season. Uh, so here's the rules section from college disc golf site that outlines all of this. It is an incredibly simple thing to do. Just check Well, not the- really because... Now you have to go five years back for all 170 well, players. Well, yeah, but you got and it. And you don't register within a month. I know, but like that's... But Well, here's the rules. You so got to do it. College Disc Golf sites outlines this. All the players must be certified amateurs or professionals per the PDGA. Those who meet the standards and qualify as a premier professional, formerly touring professional, or were designated as a premier professional within the last five years are not eligible to participate. All players on the team must meet the player requirements and the team must meet the team requirements of the college disc golf eligibility rules throughout the entire postseason competition. Eligibility, eligibility status will be checked by college disc golf through the rostering process. That's where Ferris was saying right. we thought he was good to go. In conjunction with information from school registrar offices, as well as using uh, information from PDJ and team records. So to my, when we were playing, you weren't even really checked if you went to school there. Yeah, it was pretty shady. And there were some schools that like, you'd be playing and you'd find out that guys just like lived in the area and were the right age and they brought them. And you're like, are you kidding me? So college disc golf has up to their game to where like you have to bring a a student ID and stuff like that. It's just an ongoing process, but the rules continue. College disc golf reserves the right to use additional relevant information. Should it become available in a fair and consistent manner to ensure player and team eligibility standards are met throughout the postseason competition, Player eligibility status may be rechecked at any point prior to, during, or following the postseason. So they have the rules in place. Rosters will be play, will be randomly re-verified with school registrar's office following each postseason competition, conference championships, regional qualifiers, and national championship. So, 
the rules were in place yeah. for college disc golf to basically have the right during during the competition. Me, like to check they it out. probably were just too lazy and just didn't think something like this would happen. It's just something where what it, I would it's do. unfortunate on both sides because Ferris reads the rules, sees oh this is all going to be checked during reg- rostering. So right. it might be something where they just either they Brendan knew know. in 2017 and the the coaches registering didn't know about 2017. Or to where, like, Brendan knew, obviously, he made a lot of money in 2017, but in his head, why would I think back five years? We're talking right now. Yeah. The college disc golf coaches are probably like, he hasn't played for us for years. Yeah. We're fine. Register him. He, it looked like he actually took some time off from disc golf in general. So it seemed like Ferris was kind of in, in the thing of, like, let's just register him. It does, none of this matters. Like, we, 2017 was so long ago, they probably didn't even realize five years ago rule thing. Yeah. Registered him, no red flags, nothing from college disc golf. We're good to go. Let's book the trip. Let's get right. down there. Then they get down there. They're playing, playing, playing. Then college disc golf, within their rights, checks it, realizes ineligible, disqualified. Really sucks for Ferris because now they came from Michigan all the way down to South Carolina yeah. or North Carolina. Long drive, you know, spent money on hotels, spent tons of money registering, all of that. Yeah. And they're just out of all of it. What I would do if I was a PDGA, I think the easiest way to check this... Well, it's not with, a PDGA. That's the or, thing. Well, college disc golf, rather. The easiest way to check this would be go down a PDGA list of registered players and just click on each one. That career earnings list would be the first thing you see. You would think there'd be a line of code. Well, right. You could, that you you could definitely do it, it that way. But I'm just saying, like the first thing you're going to see is that career earnings. Without even going back five years, probably 90% of the field hasn't even made more than 1000 bucks or a couple. Yeah. So then... If you do happen to see somebody that's made a lot of money, then go back five years. Yeah, but like you right. could just click backspace, click, back, and you could do five hundred in one day and be done with it. Yeah, it sounds to me like it just didn't get checked because no, like it just didn't get. You would have clicked on Tetloff, seen his career earnings was over ten thousand dollars, be like, hey, let's check his five year history. Mm-hmm. Red flag. So yeah, it just didn't get checked. It just seems like a, it's just shocking to me though too because they're such a relevant team. Like yeah. you, you would think that well, college disc golf would have seen their roster. You have no idea. Yeah. Farther like, down, there could have been players playing ineligible, and they just didn't get called. Like on it. Ferris State, mm-hmm. like to me, if I'm college disc golf, that's a very relevant team. I'm like, oh, who's for playing for Ferris this year? Like I'm gonna check who one of my top teams has coming out. And then I'm say, oh, Tetloff, man, he he's been around for a while. Like we jumped to this conclusion. Yeah, and we that's what I'm we're not even involved. I'm not even involved, and I immediately was like, yeah. Brandon, Tetloff, I played against that like, guy. That's what I'm saying. And I looked at him like, how is he eligible? Yeah. And yeah. then I was like, but he must be, which is probably the same thing Ferris did. Of like, well, he must be. No one said anything. Yeah, well, we're here. I mean, I mean, he's been able to play throughout stuff, the entire year. He won the Tiger Town Throwdown. Yeah. College you know golf I mean? won't get taken seriously until their structure, and it's it's gotten better. But like. There has like things like this can't happen. Yeah. If you wanted to be well, taken that's the thing seriously. is like it's a very unfortunate situation. No one is like truly in the wrong because Ferris registered him, didn't get flagged. Expect like if there was going to be an issue, they should have been flagged. College disc golf acted accordingly once they yeah. found out. If you want to point fingers at anyone, I agree. College disc golf should have realized this. At least they had a provision in their rules, though, to where once they did yeah, act, it's not like that was everything. Of. It's unfortunate the way it happened, but like everything happened within the rules, and so it sucks. There's no way around that. But at the end of the day, like it, I think it does fall on college disc golf shoulders of like if they would have just been checked, they could have easily Ferris could have easily been like, oh, okay, shoot, let's bump someone up from D two, right. and then everything's solved. Right. But instead, now they get three rounds in. They're in contention to win what's got to be like their fourth or fifth national title. And it's out the window. Yeah. And that sucks. Uh, Brendan Tetloff actually 
had a take on the situation in the comment section on this Facebook post that was blowing up. And he said, yes, I should have known before signing up. I was ineligible and I'm sorry. It was 100% not our intention to play an ineligible player. Yes, College Disc Golf should have realized this when our team registered and that was bad on them. Please don't attack either Ferris or College Disc Golf for these things. I've talked with the PDGA and College Disc Golf to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone in the future and we can all grow from this. Things have been put in place already to prevent such things and make me feel good about the future of College Disc Golf. Again, please no hate towards anyone and I will hopefully return next season as I'll be eligible because then that'll be six years in the past. Oh, yeah. nice. So that's a, that's a very mature statement. That's kind of the full summarize. It was, it was a tough moment because when it happened... Obviously, the entire Ferris State team, which Ferris is one of the biggest college disc golf teams in the country. Um, I feel like I've been beat by them many a times. Everyone who plays college disc golf has. Always, that hurt, kid who won nationals. It always hurts me a little bit. To that hear kid who won nationals won US AMs last year. Dang. Just a little side focus. Um, I, I was checking the uh, invite list for um, the Champions Cup to see if they had the national champion on there. I don't believe they do. They should add that. Is that a thing? Well, like their new the new way they invite people is from who people who won stuff the previous year and like they have like Am Worlds and stuff. I think it'd be cool if they had oh, the national champion. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, I have no idea what I was about to say. Oh, well, Ferris is like one of the big biggest disc golf organiz- like organizations, college disc golf uh, teams in the country. And I don't remember where I was going with that. I was in the middle of thought. It's gone. Uh, but yeah, regardless, uh, very mature take from Brendan. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. When it first happened, it kind of felt like everything just kind of broke loose because Ferris was rightfully upset because, I mean, you know, the players, the other three guys were eligible to play and they're playing in college nationals and they're in contention. You know, they're going to the final round thinking if we shoot a good round and they proved they could do it, they would have won by three. If we shoot a good round, we're walking home with a national championship tomorrow and then boom, we can't play tomorrow. And so obviously like the initial rush to social media was just like, they posted uh, one of the like coaches or whatever. I actually DM'd him asking like, um, I asked if he wanted to provide any extra information if he had some extra questions because I was trying to figure out in there, there was like a few different comments that were claiming College Disc Golf directly told them Brendan's eligible to play. If that was the case, this is a whole different story right. because then College Disc Golf really messed up. Yeah. But as the comments continued and like emotions calmed down, they're like, well, this is why he was eligible to play. And it's like, because we registered him, there wasn't red flags and the rules look like there should have been a red flag somewhere. Mm. So that's kind of where that side fell apart. But initially I was messaging him because I wanted more information of like, I need the exact details before I talk about this on a podcast. Yeah. Eventually the exact details slowly came out, but all some Ferris players DM'd foundation and DM'd me. All of them were on the same page of like, we want to talk. But we really just want to calm down first. Like before mm. we say anything, we want to calm mm. down first, which is always the mature and right thing to do of like yes. in that moment, they probably felt so much just like betrayed, whatever. And as the week went on, I think everyone came to the same realization of like, this is a really unfortunate mis- like miscommunication mm-hmm. and we're kind of getting screwed by it. But they also have the right to screw us. Yeah, is yeah. what it kind of came down to. Right, and so that's why by you the end check of it, your like own players at the end of the day. Yeah, by the end of it, it was just like, dang, that really sucks. But it, it's something that the college disc golf is going to grow from, and it's something that college disc golf could have done better. Ferris could have done better. Neither were fully in the wrong. Neither were yeah. fully in the right. And it's a very unfortunate situation. But you know, it is what it is. 
It yeah, it might have been something that needed to happen so that this rule could be more. It, yeah, diverse. it just would have yeah. been. It would have been nicer if it was like a, a North Carolina team. So instead of you know driving from Michigan and booking yeah, hotels, very it's true, like very true. They're out of just their registration and not all the gas money and hotels. Ferris fielded several different teams, so it's just the. You know, it's not like they weren't going to come to Nationals. At least with Ferris, they team. might have a budget because, like, I know they yeah. give out scholarships at Ferris. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it happened. That it went down. Stink. That does stink. Um, all right. Next up on the agenda is a very interesting Reddit thread I stumbled across when I was in the gym last week. Oh, you go to the gym? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to flex. Uh, you read it while you're gymming? I read it while I'm gymming. Actually, gym. that's, like, my favorite thing to do. It's, like, in between sets, I just get just on Reddit. Scroll through Reddit. And this was fascinating. It was just a thread, not a ton of like comments or interaction, but like what a great talking point. It says, which pros TED talk would you most want to see? There's not many. I was thinking there's a ton. Really? It'd be fascinating. Yeah. The someone said the most talk is on, I guess. Whatever they want. First said the most boring would be interested would be uh, Macbeth, how he approaches business outside of disc golf and disc golf itself, like how he promotes himself as a player. I'd be fascinated to hear some of the like lower players on the totem pole, like players who aren't cashing weekend. Like we were talking about earlier, the guys that make you go, how are they alive? Like, how are they making exactly? I would love to hear a Ted talk. I would like like, to hear those guys, how they, how they make it. I'd like to hear those guys. And then the old school guys. Yeah. And that's I was thinking like Feldberg would be fascinating. Yeah. Feldberg. I don't even know what he would talk about, but it'd be a fascinating. Any of the guys that have been in the game. I mean, done a pace would probably still be number one. Yeah. Dave Dunn and Pace would be great. Dunn and Pace would be number one on my list. Uh, UC Maresma, I feel like, would give a yeah, fascinating Yeah, that would TED actually talk. be a great one yeah. because there would be a lot of business stuff in there, yeah. too. Yeah. Anybody, yeah. anybody that's been player and business side like UC would be very interesting. Um, I would love to hear a Jeff Spring TED Talk on like the future of disc golf. Mm. like where, what, what they're actively pursuing and yeah. stuff like that. Because like the Pro Tour, one thing I love about what the Pro Tour's done is a lot of stuff we've talked about on this podcast People, A, called us crazy. But if you like look at the Pro Tour, you can see them slowly implementing things that are heading those directions. Right. But the Pro Tour is being very smart about it where they're not ripping the Band-Aid off in any one section. You don't realize it's yeah. happening. Like Tour Cards, for instance. A few years ago, Tour Cards were like, that's, that would kill the Tour, blah, blah, blah. Then they introduced the Tour Pass. Then they changed the name of it to the Tour Card. So now players are paying for the Tour Card. And it's the same thing as the Tour Pass. We just rebranded it. And then they slowly, by like a year or two from now... They, I think in an ultra world article, they said like, this is the intention a year or two from now, you're not playing on the pro tour without tour card. Mm-hmm. And it's like five years later, the tour card has been around for four years. Now you need a tour card to play. Yeah. And, the and f- then the year after that, it'll be, this is how you qualify for a tour card. Well, the funny thing is too, and it's, it's not like we're out here saying we're fortune tellers. No, we are taking our, the examples that we apply to our theory for disc golf future we're taking that those examples from professional sports that are already successful. So it's not like we're like making this stuff up. We yeah. just we know that's the direction the sport will go. So that's why it's happening is because the pro yeah. tour is adopting a professional model. The pro tour model. is being very smart about slowly like you go back a few years, Jomez, gatekeeper stuff like that were being paid to cover. Then next thing you know, not really paid, not really paying. Next thing you know, paying a little bit. Next thing you know, five hundred thousand dollars for the media rights to the pro going. tour. So like you can see where the Pro Tour is being very smart, and Pro I'd be Tour confused me though. <laughs> I'd be fascinated to hear Jeff Spring though on like what their like top priorities are that they're moving towards. What are things on the back burner, and just like how a niche sport, yeah, how to how to grow a tour in a niche sport. I see yeah. some ways the Pro Tour operates on like the 
the back end and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, these guys are really smart. They know what they're doing. I think, and, I then, think I, and key, then I see some things and I'm like, oh my God. I think what a key train people wreck. at the Pro Tour know what they're doing, have a great yeah. head and shoulders. I think other ones, I'm like, I agree. What on earth? I yeah. think, I think some of the big shots there, I think Springs probably included, are pretty smart, know what they're doing. And then there's some people like, that's just like, what? Like, huh? Like, how? Like, we, just, there's just some interactions we've had with the Pro Tour. And also, yeah. just the stuff that sometimes, like the broadcast teams, sometimes you're just like, what is going on right now? Yeah. So, so that'd be a fascinating TED talk. Uh, pro wise, I would, I would love to hear like, uh, a player from like Shoestrick Nico era. I guess the only one would be like Nico. They like started Will, touring a little bit before because Will like be Will's not still though, on because, tour. But he's been in the. I like a guy like Will though because he's now he's seen the player side and the business side. Yeah, and I think that's always interesting. I would just be fascinated to hear like a, a oh, talk of a player who's. I would love to have Nico seen, up there for an hour, seeing the full transition in disc golf. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think, think Yuli is well spoken. Ted talks. So that's that's the thing. Stuff, you got to factor in the guys that are like actually, yeah, like, seem like very well. Big German put on a good comedy show. Yes, he yeah he would. like a disc golf comedy. Sorry, Tyler Brinkley, but Big Germ stepping in. Mm-hmm. That'd be hilarious. Would it? I think it, it could if be. Big Germ had a stand up routine. You think it'd be? You think you'd laugh? I think I think it could be. I say that not because Big Germ isn't like he's not like not funny, but like. Stand up is really hard. <laughs> like, really hard. like there are professional comedians that don't make me laugh. Well, yeah, but they if make he, someone laugh. No, there would be a lot. Of, believe me, if there was a big germ stand up routine on Joe Mez, it'd get a billion views, and people would think he was the funniest person ever. Yeah, I just don't know if I'd be one of them. That's all I'm saying. I don't know, but I Ted think he's talks. funny in the practice rounds, though. TED talks would be would be fascinating. We should just have like a uh, at the disc golf convention that got canceled this year and it's coming back. Whatever, it's coming back. Were they having like keynote speakers? Yeah, they but were, they were group speakers every time. Yeah, it was like group. So it, I would love it to was have like, a, like it was a panel. Like people were probably going to ask questions. Yeah, I would love to just have like I don't even know, but like Nico LaCastro on how disc golf's changed over the past few years, and then Paul McBeth on you got the, the problem, business side of disc. Thing, like, it'd be so much. When you I'd picture that though, you're picturing like the perfect world, but like those guys are not professional speakers, and you get a guy like you get no, like, that's even what a makes guy it great. like Paul. You get him up there like. that's what makes it great is there being some type of highlight yeah like delivering like public speaking like really well is very difficult and like it would be pretty entertaining to watch them trying like there'd be some guys like you get a guy like sexton up there who's like sexton would do a great job who's pretty collected and like he would be very good at it but then there's some guys that like they're athletes they're not public speakers like there's a big difference like you can just look at press conferences it would all be entertaining though Oh, I don't doubt That's that. That's all I'm talking about. But some of them would last about 10 minutes and you'd be like, what was just even yeah, said? Yeah, but like imagine sitting back and being like, that was a fever I want I want a TED Talk from Matty O because I feel like I could just listen to him talk for an hour. There you go. Easily. He could just talk about Mexican food. Who is that? Matty O. Have you heard his rule? Oh, He yeah. doesn't no. eat it. Is it east or west? He only eats Mex- Mexican food west of the west Mississippi. Of the Mississippi. <laughs> he doesn't eat it east of the Mississippi. Yeah, I love that. That's his rule. Surely he's never been to Lacarada, man. I know, seriously. <laughs> man, I want Lacarada. <laughs> Why did it get so quiet? I was, I was trying to figure I out what think, my next I uh, was thinking about enchiladas. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out what the next thing. The final thing we have for this episode to wrap it all up was this Made fascinating statistical oh. deep dive by <laughs> Ulti World. I haven't done Make That Call in forever. That's okay. Uh, Ulti World put this out. It was actually by Douglas Tyus. 
statistical deep dive in determining the competitive field strength of professional disc golf tournaments. This and has been like a really big topic on Ulti World lately. And I, I keep seeing people doing. First like off, this. I want to say this uses ratings a lot, and I think this yeah. is kind of how ratings should be used. It's just like a, a general analytics number. general thing. Like it doesn't compare player to player based on this fabricated weird number, but it's like a way it just uses like another stat. It's yeah. As long and as like you're not if, being like too specific with ratings, like. If a player is over a thousand rated, they are good at disc golf. You know, yeah. it helps in that kind of. It's, it just it, ratings were bad, and I think mainly because of U Discs World Rankings, this part's kind of gone away. It was just used to determine the best player in the world, and it was like it really sucks when Eagle goes plays a C tier, yeah, and so his rating marginal. hurts. And then you next thing it, you know, he's not the number one player yeah. in the world anymore. If you like, look at it bigger, confusing. like just saying, like if you're above ten thirty, you're considered this level of player, then that works. Yeah. For me. So here we go. I have some quotes from it, and then we can also just, I have the article pulled up too, but okay. um, he, here's some of the quotes from it. In order to compete for a win in an elite tournament, MPO must average 1050 plus rated golf over the course of the tournament. In 2021, at the top six events, the average round rating of the top five finishers was 1052. In order to be in contention, a player needs to sustain this level of play for at least three rounds. Most of the field at elite events cannot do so. Since the beginning of 2020, just 21,000-plus rated players have played 30 points above their rating for the duration of a tournament, according to Statmando. That makes up 1.1% of rounds by 1,000-plus rated players at elite events in that time frame. So players have at least a chance of competing 30 points above their rating. Players 10-22 rated are within 30 rating points, a 10-52 average round rating for top five finishes in 2021. In other words, players rated at least 10-22 are a legitimate threat for taking down the win on tour. Lower rated players have won on tour, such as Conor O'Reilly, 1019 rated, winning the 2021 Delaware Disc Golf Challenge against a relatively weak field while averaging 1041 golf. Also, Colton Montgomery, 1012 rated, rated, won a COVID shortened two round Waco in 2020. However, these wins are rare. The next lowest rated winner in the last two years was Mason Ford, 1029 rated. Lower rated players occasionally pop off, but as a general rule, the current threshold for competitive players is roughly a PGA rating of 1022. That's a cool statistic. I like that they they pulled that. I thought it was fascinating that you basically, you have like a 1% chance of being like a thousand plus rated players have a 1% chance of shooting 30 points above their rating for the duration of a wow. tournament. So like basically a 1022 rated player has a 1.1% chance of winning. Wow. Yeah. Or coming top five, I guess it would be. That's crazy. Yeah. And is that, does that like check out though? Like if you take, like obviously he's using the, I mean, I guess it does. Yeah, that's how I got the number. Yeah. Well, this is also so. Then he went and did the uh, uh, the t- the things with the biggest best field strength um, of last year. So, and I believe this is um, uh, trying to figure out how he got these players. So, the competitive rating system he's developed sets a competitive field baseline that can be used to compare tournaments. For 2022, this baseline set by averaging the ratings of any player at or above 1022 rated from 2021's USDGC and Pro Worlds. These top 41 players from each event average a rating of 1031 in this baseline, which all tournaments in 2022 will be compared to. For each tournament, the top-rated players' ratings are averaged to find out how many players meet the competitive field baseline. At the 2022 Las Vegas Challenge, the average rating of the top 35 players was 31. Therefore, 2022 had a competitive field of 35 players. Yeah. So then, interesting. Uh, basically, this shows the most to least competitive fields. The two most competitive fields were Pro Worlds and USDGC with 57 and 56. And then Ledgestone was almost as competitive as a major at 54. 
Then it drops is, off to 49. how many players have a chance, essentially. Essentially. Statistical chance. Statistical chance. Now, this is where it gets interesting. That's so very interesting. The most competitive national tour last year was DDO at 38. So when you compare that to the most... Or DDO at 41. So when you compare that to the most competitive pro tour, which was Ledgestone at 54, mm-hmm. shows that. Um, then you have some silver series start sneaking in there. But the... It's kind of surprising how, kind of surprising how large that number is. Although I realize the people at the bottom of that literally have like a 1% chance. So yeah. It's, it's like... This is when does that percentage get to like ten? Like how high? Because I get like because like if you're if ten fifty whatever is the rating you need to average, then obviously if you're like Paul, you basically have to like average your, your rating. rating. Whereas those other players, yeah, you have to average so much higher than your rating. Yeah, uh, the one the least competitive pro tour field last year was Des Moines with twenty three players, which that was Paul's other like one of he had what. Wow. Two uh, wins, win. uh, but that's what they were at the beginning of the article. They were talking about why USCGC, beyond it being a major, felt like such a bigger win for Paul than Des Moines. Yeah, because Des Moines there was only 21, 23 Everybody. players that had a chance. I will say though, which is on the same level as the Memorial last year at twenty two. That number is not completely deceiving, but kind of deceiving, I would think, because. How often are what I want to know is how often are the are players outside of the top fifteen of that competitive number actually winning? Because there, I feel like there might be a key ten to fifteen players that if they're at the tournament, that's what really matters more so than there being. Yeah, there might be fifty people who have. Well, with the more people that have winning. a chance at winning, the harder it is to win. Right, but I'm saying, but if. If thirty of those fifty people have a one point one percent chance, do they really have a good a chance of winning? They do, but it's like so minimal. We have like Drew Gibson and Gannon Burr in a playoff for Vegas. Those are higher than ten twenty two rated players. Yeah, but their their chance of winning wouldn't be that high. No, but I'm and saying you have a player. Like I just wonder. Nick how, Carl I wonder how many one round at Waco. I wonder. I wonder how many of the fifty players are in that one point one to like five percent category. No, that that wasn't. That's not that. This is a different category because this is competitive rating system he's developed. Uh, it's baseline is set averaging the Raiders. Any players at or above 1022. That's yeah. the baseline. Yeah. Uh, and then they average 1031.6. Right. So they're taking players that are in that starting at that 1022 threshold. Well, it says at at 2022 Las Vegas, the average of the top 35 rated players is 1031.6. Therefore, it had a competitive field. I would just be curious to know if you took like if there's like a key 10 players, like how many times are people winning outside of that 10? Because like we already look at disc golf and how all and it's changing. But how often do people other than your Paul, your Rickies or your Chris or whatever win? It's just like the strength of field is it's so weird in, in disc golf, the strength of field. When Gannon Burr won Vegas, he was only ten twenty seven rated. Right. Well, when he went to a playoff at Vegas, he right. didn't win. No. But not. what I'm saying is like if you take a yes, if you look at it objectively before Vegas, we no one's really considering Gannon Burr as a threat yeah. going into Vegas. He's in that like one percent. But if he doesn't show up, then Drew Gibson wins outright. You're right. No, it, it's not an irrelevant statistic. It's obviously completely correct. It's just it's difficult because we're transitioning right now because if I look, it's right now we have, I guess, maybe maybe it's just like a a wrong way to look at it. But if we look at a tournament, like if we were looking at Des Moines, for example, I don't even know if this is true. But if we were looking at Des Moines, which it had like a weak field, and if we were looking at USDGC. Let's just look at the Des Moines field last year. Let's well, see, this like, is going to have to be hypothetical, though. But it, but I just want to see, like, if what there is were Ricky 20, and If there then? were 23, I don't know that there was a completely strong field there. 
But if you took a tournament that had, let's say, 23 people that meet that 1022 threshold or whatever, and then you took a tournament that had 60, but at Des Moines and the other one, the top 10 players in the world, top, let's just say the top 15, were still at both tournaments, it's hard to look at Des Moines and be like, yeah, that field was weak. Because like, how often is somebody outside of that top 15 winning right now? Barely ever, if ever. Well, that, that means 1% chance. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's it's hard for me to say because if you if, but you, if you take if you say the numbers 23 and 60, you're like, oh my gosh, that field was so much weaker. That's that's where it misleads you because I don't sound, think so because it is. Mm, I don't think so. Oh, because in it, relation to winning the tournament, yes, but in relation to winning the tournament and just saying it's also how much you're going to win by the because like you also have to look at if you're in second and you have no one pushing you around you, it's going to be a lot easier to push for first. But now you have 60 people who could be pushing for second versus 20 people who are going to be pushing for second. Right. No, and it, That changes and how I do, the wind I goes. do agree it's becoming more relevant. I'm just saying when you say 60 and 20, you think crazy huge, but if the top 15 players in the world are still there, that you still have to beat all the best players either way. And those are the guys that are the most relevant every tournament. So I'm just saying, but I do think, I do think that, that A, it is a completely correct statistic, obviously. And B, we're moving in the direction of that becoming more and more relevant. But if you took that same statistic and bump it back a few years, it becomes even more like, what the heck? Because Paul and Ricky are winning every single event anyways. So who cares about the strength? But then you'd also have to adjust the 1022 chance of shooting 30 points above their rating back then is probably even less. You're right. So now it might be 1030 and above. I'm just saying the more that the the field actually has parity and there actually is different winners, the more that the strength of field statistic is going to matter. Because you, I, and this year and last year are better examples with players kind of sneaking in for wins here and there. Like it's becoming more relevant. But if I have a if I have a season where literally, like you take, let's say you have a twenty event season and seventeen of those events, one of five people win. I'm not really going to care about strength of field outside of those five people. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough for me to care because it's literally a five way battle from ninety percent of the season. Once you have a season where, let's just say, half of the events go to one of those five people and the other half are completely different, then I'm then I'm like going to consider strength of field a lot more, I think. That's so, I'm, I'm just not ready to like nail down strength of field outside of the key 10 to 15 players when I'm not seeing a ton of parity yet, is what I'm saying. So Des Moines last year, Paul and Calvin were the only two players 1050 or above. Then it dropped to Adam Ham is next. Yeah, I was but saying if you look at place, if you look at the places, third place was Gavin Rathbun. Paul only beat him by three at 1024. And then Benjamin Callaway, Paul beat him by six. And Raven Newsom, they're 1021, 1018 rated. That's right. where my thing is, is well, yeah, if it, you have 60 people versus 20 people in your scenario, you have 40 more Gavin Rathbuns. There's a way bigger chance that a Gavin Rathbun, because... You're telling me Paul didn't feel any pressure from Gavin throughout the entire event just because he was 10-20 rated? He only lost by three strokes across no, three rounds. But of course he did. And so when you have I, 40 more Gavins, that's a big statistic. That's a big fact. But I, I don't... It doesn't matter if Paul you beats might be him feeling, every time. You might be feeling that at the beginning of the tournament, but once you get a couple rounds in, you're still only looking at the 10 people behind you. It doesn't matter if there's Gavin 40 was more people. Gavin two strokes behind him. Right, right. At uh, the end of the tournament, Gavin came right. in third place. No, but the, at the end of the day... If the field is super deep or it's not, you're still only looking at the people immediately behind That's you. That's what I'm saying is if there's only, if there's a top 15 at both events, okay. and outside the top 15, there's only five Gavins at this event, yes. event A, and at the next one, there's, what would that be, 25 okay. Gavins. Yeah. It's going to be way harder to win the second event. 
Yes. Because there's yeah. way yeah, more no, people it'll pushing sti- in. Yeah, it'll be statistically harder to win the event. I, I, get, yeah. I get what you're saying. So that's I, where the that's where the stat I, matters. I just don't know. I, I agree I mean, it matters. The, the I same people might, the same five, ten people might win, but I, who they're having to beat is what's changing agree, week to week. I agree it matters. I just don't, to me, it's not significant enough yet for me to like freak out at the strength of field. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree it's a significant statistic and it's going it's to matter. It's why we didn't care about the Open at Tallahassee, even if Paul or Calvin or someone would have went, but we do care about the major next week. Beyond right. it being but a major. But the Open at Tallahassee didn't have the key players that we looked yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying... That's what, like that, I'm saying that's the, what we've um, been using and I still think that is probably the best way to look throw at it. Throw down the mountain had Paul and Calvin. Yeah. But we don't really care that much about it. Because, but that, because there was only Paul and Calvin. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like you throw Ricky in there, it's still like, okay, but no one else was there. I mean, it matters a lot less than right, Pro Tour. It, it matters a good bit more, though. The more, like you toss in Ricky, it matters a good bit more. You toss in one more guy, I think it matters even a lot now. But then there's still three outside out of the, the top, top five in the outside world. Outside the top fifteen, now everyone's nine eighty rated and below. It's like you had to beat three guys I versus see, you had to beat forty. Disc golf is still right now still a little bit of a top five duel to me, week in week out. I disagree. I think I think it still is to me. I think maybe for the the for the win outright, yeah. There's like maybe right now five to ten guys that you would expect to win, but I think who they're battling week in and week out is where that strength of field matters. Yeah. Because if it's just the top five, there's going to be weeks where there's blowouts. Versus because of the strength of the field, there's not because now yeah, you have a yeah. Mason Ford that can sneak in there. You have a Gannon Burr. You have a Gavin Rathbun or whoever that can sneak up in there and. I mean, at the end of the day, do we really care if Paul's battling Ricky and wins by one or if Ricky's battling Gavin and wins by one? No. Like, those are both exciting. No, yeah. And there's a bigger, bigger, big, bigger chance the more people there are. But fascinating stat by Ulti World there. And uh, I, I thought it was really cool. The Well-written article. Percent chance of uh, someone actually shooting that high above their rating once they get up there. Yeah, that is really interesting. I'd be interesting to see... In like the mid 900s and low 900s, what the percent chance of averaging 30 points above your rating is? It's got to be way higher. That uh, well, and, well, that once you get to there, I feel like that's going to be super flawed. The other thing, I don't like. Obviously, using the rating system is still kind of sketchy, but it's better at the top end. But if you have a 950 player and they go to a pro tour event, that's where the flaws come in because yeah. now you're going to obviously average above your rating. Yeah, I played one of my worst tournaments I ever played was yeah. at Ledgestone. And I was like 940, now, 950. I sucked and I averaged like yeah. 975. If you're playing, somehow. if you're playing <laughs> at a certain rating and you almost like have to be playing in the perfect environment for the ratings to be true. Cause if you're playing as a 950 player and you're playing in the advanced division in a nice area to where you have good advanced field, you're probably going to get a pretty good read. But if you're playing, if, if you're, you're the highest rated player in the field, you're going to, your ratings are going to yeah, suck. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that is the other thing is like, I hate ratings. Yeah. I, they're so frustrating. Let's let's get a strength. Like we need we need different ways to determine the strength of the field other than the ratings. Well, the tough part is like they they want to use. You need something that can correlate to round and player. Yeah. Because like you can use like strength of field just based on how many in the world ranking are there, but that's not going to really. T- you'd have to calculate it based on people it outside the top whatever winning. Yeah. Versus ratings, you can be like you can go we round can, by round. You don't have to win to get the data. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because like a player could average 1052, but Paul averaged 1070. So they lost, but they averaged that 30 points above their yeah. rating. So you can still get that statistic, whereas a world ranking can't do that right now. Ratings or ever. Just, ratings just but stink. ratings just... They stink. I hate them. 
Yeah. You suck. That it's article could lead to more people doing what Heather Young is doing. I'm I, what I will They'll be like, oh yeah. wow, it's that it's hard that for low. me to win. I'm I'm ten nineteen rated, so you're saying what? I have no chance. Yeah. <laughs> but I I will say though that like all these statistics that are like we are like Disc golf is just having a statistics boom lately. Like so many people are getting into it. I love it. all the stat accounts. Yeah, and I and I love it. I love that people are trying to find new ways to analyze disc golf because at the end of the day, like these statistics, even if I don't like, even if I'm not in love with them, they are still a correct statistic. They're using numbers that are out there mm-hmm. that are, you know, and they're doing math. And that is a real statistic about the sport, whether you think it is super relevant or not, it's still true. So I think the more of that, the better, because it just gives us new ways to look at things. I've never even thought of disc golf that way. Is like, oh my gosh, if you're, you, I don't think we look at a ten twenty four rated player and are like, yeah, you've got like less than two percent chance of winning. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like, like we, that is a, some, that is a new way to look. And at it's things. also obviously a little bit subjective because like there's some players who are on the rise and are at ten twenty four, and some players who have been at ten twenty four right. forever. True. The player on the rise who's at ten twenty four obviously has a lot better chance of shooting, shooting that. better and better. Would you better. say you're a player on the rise? Me? Yeah. No, I would say I'm on a player like for myself, a player on the decline. I'd like to know my statistical chance of shooting when? 30 points below my rating. Well, it's got to be like 30 points or higher. I want to know when the the ratings update is for this uh, tomorrow. Is it actually you Should know be, right? you know these things? Second Tuesday of every month. So that'd be tomorrow, right? Yeah. My, you know tomorrow, what's so f- you know what is so funny? My last ratings update was April 13th of last year. Yeah, this will be April 12th. Of this so they're going to be a year apart. My rating's going to tank. I'm going back into the 930s, boys. I think I might meet you there. Yeah. I don't remember what I shot, I but caught my, my game rating's at going a good down. time because my game is now, I feel like, kind of in the toilet. Yeah, my rating's so going really down. I really caught it at a good time. Down, I down, never, baby. I never renewed my membership. You're streeting a Range Rover. I am? What? I don't know the Is that part. my signing bonus? Down, down, baby. You're streeting a Range Rover. Street Sweeper, baby. It's a song. Hot, ready I to see. let it go. Ah, I see. It's a song. <laughs> all right so uh that's it for this episode we'll be back on wednesday for the champions cup preview the first major first pro major of the year and uh super excited we're also gonna have a companion stream going on sunday i believe we'll start at 2 30 eastern time is when the like companion that. stream will go live around that time we'll have more details posted later this week but uh, you're not gonna want to miss the preview show on wednesday i'll get you all the stats statistics everything that you need to know heading into champions cup and uh, should be a good time. So that wraps it up. We will talk to you on Wednesday.